lost on account of many reasons, but only love would make you understand. Good morning, River Rock Bible Church. How are you guys this morning? Good. Happy Easter to you. And I saw, you can, you can relax, I saw you tapping your foot, and I know you wanted to clap to that song. It's all right. It's a great song. It's upbeat. It's a lot of fun. Well, we just want to welcome you this morning to our Easter service, and we are here this morning to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I know for many of us, a lot of times we hear about the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We hear about the free gift of salvation that's offered simply by putting our trust in Him. And I think for a lot of us, we miss the power of that. Because I don't know about you, but I don't spend much time every day thinking about the end of my life or what's going to happen after I die. My life is so consumed with everything else that's going on around me that I just don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. I've got four kids, the triplets just turned five, and then I've got an 18-month-old baby girl. So we're pretty busy at our house. And it's not something that's at the forefront of our mind. But if we understand that what Jesus Christ died for was not just for our eternal life, but that we could have new life and experience a different kind of life now, then that kind of changes things. I want us to start with a verse out of Romans, chapter 8, verse 11. It says this, Romans 8, verse 11. It says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. Now, let me stop there. This and if is a conditional sentence that comes in the Greek, but really the idea is since. It's better translated as since. So since the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. This verse tells us that God has so much more for us than just to look forward to the next life, to just look forward to what happens after we die, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same power that raised him from the dead is the power that's available to each and every one of us who put our trust in Jesus Christ. And it gives us the power not only for eternal life, but the power to live changed lives today. I don't know about you, but to me, that's some of the best news I've heard all week. Amen? You see, God's desire is that his love, that our faith in him, would transform every area of our life. And a lot of times, the hardest place for us to experience that transformation, for us to experience that change that Jesus Christ has for us, is in our closest relationships in our marriages, and in our families. And so this morning, we're actually going to take some time, and we're going to look at the family. And we're starting a brand new series this week uh, called Fixer Upper. And we're going to be going through a series on marriage and family. We're going to start this week by looking at marriage. The next two weeks, we'll look at our hus- the, wives, the, the roles of husbands and wives. And Amanda's going to come up and share a little bit from her perspective. Uh, and then we're going to get into our kids And how do we pass on godly character to our kids? How do we remodel our family based on the word of God by faith? 
how do we structure our family? Now, we've titled this series Fixer Upper, and I've got to be honest, I've never actually seen the show. I, I know, gasp. My wife and I don't have cable, we don't have Netflix, so we haven't actually seen the show, which I'm going to have to fix, because on the last Sunday of this series, we're going to have a special guest, someone who's connected to HGTV's Fixer Upper and also works for Magnolia Market. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but we're going to have a special guest, so you're going to want to be sure to come back and join us at the end of April when we close out this series. It's going to be a great testimony, and you won't want to miss that Sunday. But this morning, uh, you know, I've never actually seen the show, but I've seen enough of these kind of shows, the home remodeling shows, to know pretty much how it works, right? You have a couple that's looking for their dream home, but they don't have a lot of money, and so they take them and they show them all these run-down, beat-up homes, right? The hosts say, hey, look, you know, this house, is, it's not real pretty, but hey, if we could just put a coat of paint or put some new floors, uh, then, then this could be your dream home. And the, the couple finally agrees on a house. And then at the end of the show, this run-down, beat-up house that started with mustard yellow walls and avocado green appliances and beautiful brown and cream linoleum tile floors uh, is transformed into this beautiful house, their dream home that they always wanted. And it's funny because when they start the process, as they're looking at these old ugly, beat-up houses, a lot of times the show host has to pull them aside and say, look, you know, I, I know you're frustrated. I know it doesn't look like much now, but you have to see past what it is now and see what it could be. See what it could be. Look past all the problems and look to the potential. Look at what it could be. And I think that's exactly what God asks us to do in our marriages and with our families. That every single one of us, no matter how good your marriage is, no matter how great your kids are, that we all have issues. Some of us, our our marriage uh, maybe just needs a fresh coat of paint, maybe just needs a little touch-up. Some of us, our marriages and our families need to be stripped down to the foundation and completely rebuilt around the Word of God. And that's what we're intending to do with this series, is that we would take a step back and that we would see through our problems, see through to the potential of the marriages and the families that God has for us, of what they could be, and how the power of the resurrection enables us to pursue that life, to pursue that marriage, to pursue that family that God desires for us. That's the journey we're going to be on. So whether you're here this morning, you have a great marriage, you just need a little touch-up, that's great. We've got something for you. I know there are many of you here, maybe you're struggling through marriage. Maybe you guys are even considering divorce. I'd, I would encourage you to listen to the principles and, and apply the principles that we're going to talk about this morning. Maybe you are divorced and you've been through that pain. Uh, we've got something for you as well. I hope this will be encouraging to you. Maybe you're single. It's not even on your radar. You're in high school. You've got kids. Uh, whether you have kids or don't have kids, this series, we're going to have something for you because there are a lot of these principles that we're going to apply to marriage that also apply to other relationships. And so I I hope you'll stay with us, you'll join with us as we go through this series on the family. And we're actually going to start this morning in Genesis chapter 2, which is really where we kind of have the foundation of marriage. This is where we have the first marriage, this beautiful picture of what marriage should be. We've got Adam and Eve brought together by God. And the first principle that we're going to see is this, that we are to pursue marital oneness by faith. Pursue marital oneness by faith. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 24, it says this. It says, this is why 
A man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Now remember, Adam was there on earth. He had no partner. He looks around. He sees all the other animals. There's male and female. They all have a partner, and there is no partner for Adam. And so God creates the perfect partner for Adam and then unites them. And Moses here is giving a little commentary because Adam and Eve didn't have a mother and father to leave, did they? No, but... but Moses is saying, look at how perfect this union is because they had been bonded together as one. Now, a lot of times we hear that oneness, we hear the two become one flesh, and we think about a physical relationship. There is so much more to it than that. There is so much more to it than that. Look at at what he says here. He says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother. Now, that word leaves is a very significant word. It actually means to abandon or to forsake. That's a pretty strong word. Now, it's not talking about abandoning your parents in terms of responsibility, because we know that we're called for our entire lives to honor our father and mothers. But this is an abandoning in the sense of a breaking of the relationship. That the, the primary relationship that every single one of us has, the strongest bond that we have growing up is with our parents. They bring us into their home. They raise us. They nurture us. And so we have this strong bond with them. But then Scripture says that the moment comes when we're to be married, and that bond is separated so that we can form a new bond with our spouse. And uh, again, it doesn't mean that we break all ties with our family. We don't cut them out because now I'm married. But what it does mean is that our spouse now becomes number one. Our spouse becomes our number one priority. And here's some things to help you understand if you might have an issue with this. Uh, If your parents, if mommy's and daddy's opinion matters more than your wife's opinion or your husband's opinion, then maybe you have an issue. If you find yourself, when you've got something that you're struggling with and you find yourself, your first phone call is back to mommy and daddy... Or if there's an argument in the, in the relationship and you call mommy and daddy and say, help me out with this, then there's a major threat to your oneness. And you haven't really left. You haven't severed that relationship in the way that God requires that you could be united with your spouse. Now, let me speak to parents here for a little bit. I know some of you have young kids and it's far off, but I want to encourage you, you need to be preparing your kids to leave. You need to be preparing them. Yeah, some of you laugh at that because we got the boomerang generation, but you need to be preparing them and allow them, set them up for success and allow them to separate. Allow them to separate from you and cling to their spouse. That's one of the greatest gifts you can give them. And and if you are a parent of an adult child, man, you've got to be sure that you're giving them the space that they need to leave and abandon you and make their spouse their number one priority. you got to be careful. It's hard. It's hard to not stick your foot in that relationship. And if you're the one in the relationship, if you're the one whose parents are butting in, then guess what? It's your responsibility to address that, not your spouse's. So when mother-in-law comes and Johnny sits down at the table and the wife brings in tea and the mother-in-law says, oh, is that sweet tea? Johnny likes his tea sweet. And the wife says, well, that's why Johnny's 200 pounds overweight. This is green tea that Johnny's going to drink, and he's going to like it, right? And so whose place is it for, for, 
for someone to address that. It's not the wife's place. That's Johnny's place to step in and say, hey, mom, this is the tea my wife has brought me. Thank you very much for the tea. You know, it's his responsibility to address that issue. It's not the other person's responsibility to address that issue. We need to be leaving to have that separation so that we can come together as one. There's a a list that I found um, about some of the top problems in marriage. And inevitably, as I read about premarital counseling, biblical counseling, and things like that, there are three issues that always come up at the very top of the list for marital problems and reasons for divorce. I'll let you take a guess at number one, right? If you're married, you already know what it is. All right, number two is money. And number three is in-laws, right? So have you figured out what number one is yet? All right, so we all know what number one is. Number two is money. And number three is in-laws. They come in and they can very easily and quickly drive a wedge between you and your spouse if you have not separated, if you've not abandoned that relationship to pursue the oneness with your wife, to pursue that intimacy that God desires for her. And if you, until you do that, you can't really do the next thing that this verse says. It says that he will leave, he will abandon that relationship with his mother and father to jump feet first into a new relationship with his wife. And it says he will be united with her. That word united means to be glued to his wife. Right? It, it means cling with all passion. Now, I've got to be completely honest that there are other things that vie for my attention. There are other things that pull my passion away from my wife. And I'm sure many of you have experienced this as well. There are things like success, that we dive headlong into our relationships so that we can pursue success, and our spouse is left with the leftovers. We come home worn out, and there's no passion left for us to pursue our spouse with, that we would be united with them. Sometimes it's our hobbies, that we get so involved in a hobby that we pour ourselves into that, we pursue that with all our passion, with everything that we are, and our spouse gets the leftovers. Can I tell you what I think nowadays is perhaps an even greater threat than in-laws? I think it's the kids, When mom and dad put kids on the pedestal and all of a sudden the household doesn't revolve around the main relationship of mother and father, but it begins to revolve around the kids, we've got a problem. Mom and dad are pouring into their kids all their passion, everything that they have goes into the kids and they have nothing left for themselves. And we've got to be careful that that what we pursue is our spouse, that we would pursue them with all our passion, that we would be united with them. I found this list this, this week of the top five things that separate spouses. We're talking about oneness, and we're talking about how we want to be one with our spouse. And the top five things that separate spouses, uh, other than those top three that we already addressed, the first one is this, separate ways. When you have separate schedules, you have separate life directions, separate religions, what you're going to find is that you are being pulled in two separate directions. You're being pulled in two separate directions, and eventually it's going to come apart. How many times have we seen families, when the kids finally go off to college, mom and dad end up getting a divorce shortly after because everything they had done was separate. They had separate lives. The only thing they had in common were the kids, and now that the kids are gone, there's nothing left. We've got to be sure that we're pursuing like things, and this one ties in with it, separate interests. 
when you don't have any common ground. I'm not saying you have to enjoy everything. Men can still have your hunting and fishing. You don't have to drag your wife along. That's not what I'm saying. Wives, you don't have to take your husband's shopping. Uh, You don't have to take your husband's to do everything, but you ought to have some shared interest. You've got to have something that you share in common that you can do together. The third thing, this one surprised me that was on the list, separate vacations. Separate vacations, and this is becoming more and more common where the wife says, hey, all my friends are going here, and the guy says, well, all my friends are going here, so they take separate vacations. And then the family has to decide, okay, which kids are going with who? Dad's going to Hawaii, mom's going to Washington, D.C. or to New York, so who's going to go with who? We've got separate vacations. The other thing was separate bank accounts. Now, I know there's an element of cultural wisdom that says, hey, you need to protect yourself, you need to be wise and keep your money separate, but does that really indicate a desire to be one with your spouse when your thought is, oh, I've got to protect my money in case something happens? Separate bank accounts can easily separate. And the last thing is separate bedrooms or bedtimes. Now, this is not, hey, I've got back issues, I need a special bed, I've got to sleep in a special place, or, you know, he's got all these sleep apnea things that he's got to wear, like Darth Vader mask, and so there's no room left in the bed for the wife. No, but this, what I'm talking about here is that when you have the, the ability, when you're able to sleep in the same room, when you have the ability to go to bed at the same time, do it. And I don't know about you, but for me, I love those times when a man and I are lying there in bed and we're talking about our day, and uh, we actually play a little game where she tells me something that one of the kids did and I have to guess who it was, or I'll say something that one of the other kids said and she tries to guess which one said it, and we just have a great time just being there together, being next to each other, just being close to each other. There's a oneness that comes through that. Now, let's talk about the one that we've avoided so far, which is uh, the physical. And there is an element of this physical relationship when it comes to our oneness that we have to be aware of. And let me just read what what comes from uh, 1 Corinthians 7. Now, this is an element. This is not the main thing, but this is an element of our oneness that we've got to talk about. And it says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Uh, Excuse me. A husband should fulfill his marital responsibility to his wife, and likewise, a wife fulfill her duty to her husband. So, what are we talking about here? Well, I'll give you three guesses about what we're talking about here. You guys already know what we're talking about. Um, But here's the thing. It says, husbands, fulfill your duty to your wives. And wives fulfill your duty to your husbands. And here's the thing. As we talk about the physical relationship between a husband and wife, what we've got to realize is that men and women are wired different. I know that's shocking, isn't it? (laughs) Right? For women, the emotional intimacy leads to physical intimacy. And for men, the physical intimacy leads to emotional intimacy. But here's what typically happens. The wife says, he's not meeting my emotional needs, so I'm not going to meet his physical needs. And the husband says, she's not meeting my physical needs, so I'm not going to meet her emotional needs. And pretty soon, everybody is unhappy. Nobody's happy. And we've got to find a way to break out of this cycle that every single one of us finds ourselves in at different times. And we've got to pursue that oneness. And Paul gives some very clear instruction. He says that, hey, if you're not pursuing that, that you could be tempted to fall away, that you could be tempted. I had a, a really good friend when I was working at a church in Colleen, and he told me once that he realized he was having an affair. Uh, but it wasn't a physical affair. It was an emotional affair. 
Because every time something happened in his relationship, there was one person that he always ran to, and it wasn't his wife. And what really freaked me out as a college student was when he said, yeah, I'm having an affair with my mom. Like, that's a gross picture that you just don't want in your head. But he realized that there were emotional needs that weren't being met in his relationship by his wife, and they worked through it, and and God restored that marriage. But he was finding somewhere else to have those emotional needs met. And often the same is true with our physical needs, that when those physical needs aren't being met, this is not an excuse. Uh, This is not, hey, it's not being met, so I can go do this now. But this is a way for us to understand, men, we've got to be pursuing our wives, meeting those emotional needs. She needs for us to ask, how are you doing? Tell me about your day. She needs to experience that non-sexual touch where we just hold her hand, not expecting it to lead anything, where we put our arm around her. When we just sit beside her, to just sit and listen to her talk. And ladies, men need that affirmation. They need that physical affirmation from you that they are still important, that, that you are, are still attracted to them, that you still want to bond with them because really I believe that the last part of that oneness is that physical relationship. All these other things culminate in the beautiful gift of that physical oneness that God has given us. First, we have to leave. And then we have to be united with our spouse. We have to pursue them with all our passion. Next verse I want to take you to is uh, is in Ephesians. I already read this verse, but um, before we jump into that, let me say this, that the next thing we're going to talk about is seeking a biblical marriage role by faith. And I know when we read this verse, there are going to be some people that are caught off guard. You're not going to like it, and you're going to hear a word or two words that, that... uh, maybe throw you off and cause you to be a little bit anxious. Well, let me, let me just warn you that, that that's... N- give it a second. Let me explain what the words mean, and then, and then we can talk a little bit more about it. But before we do that, uh, a lot of us hear about marriage roles, and we say, man, we don't need roles in our marriage. We've got this agreement. You know, we're equal partners. We'll just figure things out as we go along. We don't need to have established roles. And I think that's just a bunch of hogwash. I mean, think about every area of society. There, are, there is uh, roles and there's a structure in every area of society. Imagine going into your boss tomorrow morning and saying, hey boss, you know what? We don't need roles here at work. We can just do away with our job descriptions. We're all going to be equal. I don't need you to look over me. You don't need me to serve under you. We're just all going to be equal and everything's going to get done. How productive do you think that office is going to be when there's no clear structure, when there's no clear authority? The same thing in the classroom. Some of you are school teachers. Some of you have kids in school. Imagine if your kids went to school and were told, hey, there is going to be uh, no roles in this classroom. So there's no student teacher role. Well, who's going to teach the class? You think about every segment of society. There is structure. There are roles. Anywhere that something significant is taking place, There's a structure, there's roles that happen, and there's no more significant task than that of the family, to be a place to provide care, loving, nurture, to raise children. And so if we're going to do that, we have to understand the structure and our roles. So Ephesians 5, uh, 22 says this, it says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Now, as I said, some of you hear these words submit and head, and you immediately tune out because you don't like what they, what they imply. But let me tell you this, much like Princess Bride, 
you keep using that word, and I do not think it means what you think it means. Right? When we understand the biblical context of submit and headship, it, it becomes completely different. And let me tell you, the next two weeks, we're going to take some time and we're going to dive into these two relationships in depth. So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on them. My wife's going to actually be up here with me next week as we look at the role of the wife. And we talk about what does it really mean to submit. And then she'll be up here with me the next week as we talk about the role of the husband and we talk about what does it mean for the husband to be the leader, to be the head. But let me just tell you a couple things that it doesn't mean. Submission. Submission does not mean weakness. It doesn't mean that you have to commit intellectual suicide as a woman and say, well, I no longer think for myself. I do whatever he says. That's not what it means. Men, did you hear that? That's not what it means. You don't just tell her what to do. That's not what submission means. Submission does not mean worthlessness. In fact, when you understand submission in a biblical manner, you see how it, how it brings great worth and great value to you as a woman and as a wife. And we're going to talk more about that next week. And the last thing is it doesn't mean slavery. It doesn't mean that you're his slave. When he says, go make me a sandwich, you jump up and go make a sandwich. That's not what it means. That's not what submission means. Submission means saying yes to his leadership, to recognizing that there's a structure within the family and that you're saying yes to that structure, that biblical structure. Uh, And this is something you've heard me say before, and I'll say it again, that structure does not indicate value. Structure does not indicate value. Just because one is appointed as the leader and the other one is asked to submit, that does not indicate value. We're going to see that very clearly over the next two weeks. Men, let me say this. Headship is not dictatorship. All right? Headship is not dictatorship. If anything, what you have to understand is that as the head, as the leader, that you have a great responsibility because you are the one who's going to stand before God and give an account for how your family has been led. Not your wife. You won't be able to say, well, I just deferred to her and let her make all the decisions. That's not going to be good enough. You're going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account as the leader of your family. And we're going to talk more about it in the next few weeks, but let me ask you this. What is the most important piece in a jigsaw puzzle? The last piece, the corner piece, the piece that's missing? What if I told you the most important part of a puzzle is the box? The picture on the box is the most important part because it tells you where all the pieces fit. Without the box, you just have a bunch of stuff that maybe eventually you can get it figured out. You can, you can find something close to the picture, but it's the box that's the most important part. And let me say this, in marriage, God's word that tells us our role is the box. And we are simply one of the pieces that comes together to form that picture. And so we have to understand what is our place in the picture and how does it work together? Because without one of those pieces, the picture's incomplete. Or if a piece is out of place, the picture is incomplete. And God's desire is that we would have a complete marriage. And in order to do that, we have to understand where we fit in the puzzle. So we've got to seek a a biblical marriage role. Next thing I want to talk about is this, that we need to resolve conflict in a biblical manner. And Jesus actually gives us a great uh, passage on how to resolve conflict in a biblical manner in Matthew 18, beginning in verse 15. He says, If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you've won over your brother. 
But if he won't listen, take one or two more with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he pays no attention, then tell it to the church, but he must pay attention even to the church. Let him be like an unbeliever and a tax collector to you. So let's talk about what that means. All right, so there's really five things that we see here about handling conflict by faith. And the first thing we see is that it's got to be a big deal. He says, if he sins against you, right? So we want to make sure that what's actually happened is a big deal. So the fact that he bites his fingernails or, or whatever, women are perfect so they don't ever do anything wrong, but he bites his fingernails and that annoys you. That's not a sin. That's not worth confronting him over and having a big argument. What we're talking about is when someone has actually offend, has not just offended you, but sinned against you, then you go to them. And that's the second thing. The first thing is that we've got to make sure it's a big deal. The second thing is that, that we have to take action. That when we're the one who's sinned against, we have the responsibility to go. We have the responsibility to go, and we confront them. And that's the next thing, is that we do it in private. We do it in private. One-on-one, we go to them. We don't go on Facebook and rant about what our spouse just did. We don't call mommy and daddy. We don't call our best friends and tell them, you won't believe how bad she is. You won't believe how bad he is. No, we go directly to them. We give them the benefit of the doubt, and we go directly to them. I'll never forget when a man and I first got married. Uh, not that she could ever possibly do anything wrong, but for whatever reason, I was upset with her. And so I called my dad and uh, was trying to complain. And he's like, I don't know why you're talking to me about this. Your problem's with your wife. Don't ever call me with this stuff again. <laughs> Hung up the phone. He helped me leave, right? He helped me pursue that oneness with my wife, but he also brought a real truth to me. And I realized right then, he's exactly right. He's absolutely right. My problem is not with him. He doesn't need to know anything about it. Uh, I need to resolve this with Amanda, because here's what's happened. When you, when you call people like that, you and your spouse come back and you reconcile and everything's great, but they don't know that. So your best friend is still mad at your jerk of a husband who did whatever he did, And so she comes over, and she treats him badly, and then pretty soon you guys are pulled in separate directions. Same thing with your parents. They hear your side of the story, and they're upset with your spouse, and they don't know that you guys worked it all out and that everything's okay now. So the next time you go visit your parents, all of a sudden, hey, they're treating me kind of weird. What's going on here? Oh, yeah, that's right. I told them you did this. You did what? All right, so we got to make sure we keep it between the two of us. We want to We want to give them the benefit of the doubt. The other thing is, he says, go and show them their fault. Show them where they've sinned against you. It literally translates to lay out your case. Show them the facts, right? So this is where you don't get to say, hey, I I know we're arguing about the car, but do you remember that time you did this five years ago? No, we don't fight like that. You don't get to say, oh yeah, but your mother, no, we don't fight like that. You keep the main thing, the main thing. You lay out the arguments and you go from there. And the last thing is this, that if, if you guys can't work it out together, that you would bring in someone else. And, and here at River Rock Bible Church, I'd say your first place to go is to your community group leader, the person who's shepherding you the, the closest. After that, I would say come to an elder or one of the pastors. But the reason you do that is because we're going to sit down with you and we're going to say, hey, Stephen, that's a great story about, about Renee. And I'm sorry you guys are having this problem. But Stephen, do you see your part in this problem? Stephen, do you see where you might be at fault? Right? And that's, that's the benefit, is that when two people can't work it out, you bring in that third neutral party that's able to sit down and help you guys work it out together. Because 
every single argument, I don't care how big or how small, both parties have contributed to it in some way and need to work through that. And so it's important that we come together. Otherwise, we can never break the crazy cycle. We can never break the crazy cycle. And this is the last thing, is that we've got to break the crazy cycle by faith. And sometimes this crazy cycle, it's he's not meeting my emotional needs, so I'm not going to meet her physical needs. She's not meeting my physical needs, so I'm not going to meet her emotional needs. She's not letting me lead, or he won't lead, so I'm going to step up and take over. Or we're fighting about this, and, and she won't give in, so I'm not going to give in. And we get in this crazy cycle that we can't break out of. Has anybody ever been in that cycle besides me? I think we've all been in that cycle. And Scripture clearly tells us that there is a cure for that cycle, and, and it's humility. We've got a family uh, here that has been through that cycle and has broken through that cycle, and I want us just for the next few minutes to hear their story. My name is Valerie Hamstra, and my husband is Adam. We have two children. Belle is seven and Blake is five, and we live in an awesome little neighborhood. And everything from the outside looks like we're living the American dream. We've got great house, great family, great dog. We moved to Georgetown about five years ago when I was pregnant with our second child, and we love our neighborhood. It's very family oriented. Um, you know, we've got a little girl and little boy, and it's everything I hoped and dreamed for when I was growing up. But honestly, on the inside, I wasn't happy. So even though I got everything that I wanted, there was still something in my heart that just wasn't right. I started going through a really hard time in our marriage where I wasn't happy. It wasn't anything that Adam had done. Um, And I actually hid my unhappiness from Adam. So he didn't really know to the extent how unhappy I was because I wanted to keep our family together. And I was unhappy for so many years um, that it got to a point to where I was at a breaking point. I don't know how to say it in words as far as, like, I just could not see this the family that we have built together just completely dissolve for something that I, I did not understand. And I kept on trying to fix it, trying to fix it, and every time I'd try to fix it, it would just become a huge fight. I'd give her an opportunity to tell me what's bothering her, but she wouldn't tell me, so it would make me feel like it was going nowhere. I remember sitting there one time, I was talking to God, you know, by myself, and I was like, what am I doing wrong at this time? Because it's not working. And I I just remember, you know, Him telling me, let me take over, it'll be okay. I just felt like I can't do this anymore. I think my kids will be better off living with two parents in two different homes that are happy rather than being in a home with parents that are unhappy. 
I just felt in our situation that if if we were to separate that it was just going to be a rehearsal for divorce. During the worst part, when I had decided, you know, it's over and done, I can't do it anymore, um, I started talking to some of my friends in my community group, and they listened and didn't want me to give up because they knew how devastating that would be for our family. And so they encouraged me to keep trying at our marriage and just talked me through um, my hard times. And like I said, I didn't know how my heart could change. Like I really felt like there's nothing I can do that's going to salvage this marriage. But one of my friends from community group um, actually gave me a small nudge to go see a Christian counselor. I had been to many counselors at different times in my life, and there wasn't one that was as real as this Christian counselor. Through the counseling, we got to the bottom of why I was so unhappy and how guarded my heart was, and I had sealed off my heart. I wasn't going to let anyone in, and turned out that included God, and I figured out I didn't fully trust God with my life because I had to be in control. And during this counseling, when I had a major breakthrough, I trusted God. And from that moment, my whole world changed. And it was as if every brick around my heart physically, like I felt like it came off and just dropped to the floor. And I fully let him in, and then that allowed me to let my husband in. And since that moment, our world has been different. You know, we see God's miracles in medical miracles, and oh my gosh, how did that person survive? Or how did it... But you don't hear a lot of stories as to how God works miracles just in kind of almost everyday life. And, you know, and he did. He worked a miracle in my life that changed a lot of people's lives. If I could say one thing to people that are struggling is to not give up hope. Um, I was almost there, and at times I felt like I had given up hope. Um, but I had just a little bit, and I would say hang on to that. Talk to your Christian friends. See a Christian counselor. It was really... God who worked through them to help me. Everyone wants to portray this great, perfect family life, and no one wants to share their dirt. No one wants to um, let everybody know their struggles. And I think if we shared more and talked with more, you know, of our close friends that do have that Christian mindset that can help us through these struggles, that we can help each other. But I mean, ultimately, God performed a miracle in my heart. And the only thing I'll say that, have patience. It's, that's a very easy thing to say and a hard thing to do, but just don't try to fix everything. 
when you feel like you have got you have to fix it, that's when you need to sit down and by yourself and just reflect that God is involved with all this. It's going to be okay. And I mean, it's it's a very hard thing that I had to learn the hard way. But trying to fix it doesn't change it. And only God can change it. That's right. Very powerful story. And I hope you noticed that everything that they said, Adam said that the change finally came when I handed it over to God and I let him transform my marriage by faith. I put my faith in God and not in my own ability to do it. And some of you have been here, you've been in marriages and you've tried over and over and over again to change your marriage on your own. Why not try it by faith? Why not pursue the marital oneness that God desires for you? Why not uh, resolve conflict in a biblical way? Why not pursue that marriage role that God has for you by faith? Pursue all of these by faith. Because the most important thing is that we would trust God to be the one to do the work. Trust God for our salvation. It is He who is the one who has done the work. Here's the reality that every single one of us was caught in a crazy cycle. And that crazy cycle is called sin. And that sin separates us from God. We're not able to be a part of the relationship that he wants us to be a part of. But you know what? God saw past our problems to our potential. And so he decided to resolve that conflict that we have by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. And on the third day, raising him from the dead to prove that the conflict had been settled, to prove that the penalty had been paid. And then he brings us into a new role, a new role in our relationship with him, no longer as an enemy of God, but now as a child of God. And then he says, pursue oneness with me. Pursue an intimate relationship with me. And all of that is through the power of the resurrection. That same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to you today to transform your marriage, to transform your your kids, to transform your very life. And you simply take a hold of it through faith, saying, Jesus, I trust in you alone. You and you alone is where I put my trust. What I'd like for us to do now is to take two We're just going to take a few minutes. I want you to just write down what God is saying to you. If you're here this morning and have yet to put your trust in Jesus Christ, now is the perfect time to do it. But what is God saying to you about changes you need to make in your life? Let's take two.